Kaylin, who do you hope is listening to this podcast episode? I hope my husband and my parents are listening to this podcast. Welcome to the Tyler Loops Out of the Loop podcast. I'm your host, Jane Neal. And I probably made you afraid of dogs. <laughs> oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> Sir, I heard you say grassy ass. Tyler will always be my home. Let's begin. My guest today is Kaylin Copper Rutledge, a graduate of Winona High School. Kaylin studied emergency medical services at TISD's Career and Technology Center to become a paramedic. She lives in Tyler and works at Ulrich Barnes. She has four siblings in her blended family and enjoys a loving relationship with her mom and supportive stepdad. Kaylin lost her biological father in 2008. She told her true story live at the first ever Out of the Loop event. Kaylin, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Let's take a listen to your story, told in April of 2019 at Liberty Theater in downtown Tyler. Hi, I'm Kaylin Copper. I have lived in Tyler and Lindo for most of my life. I am a senior at Winona High School, and I'm on the varsity softball and volleyball teams. I'm also first year trumpet in the band. But the school program that has meant the most to me has been the EMT paramedic program taught at the Career Technology Center in Tyler by Matthew Singleton. As part of our class requirements, we go on rotations with UT Health EMS, Emergency Medical Services. Some of our students were ready to go on rotations in November, but I didn't start until two months later because I was scared I'd mess something up and get yelled at, and I hate getting yelled at. <laughs> After dragging my feet for so long, I knew I couldn't put it off any longer. I would, it was my turn, and I would be assigned to a pair of competent and experienced EMTs. I figured I'd get some downtime in this 12-hour shift, and I thought that I would get a tour of the EMS station and read my book and get some work assignments done. And I knew that it was my job to sit back and observe if we got a call. On a cold Sunday morning in January, I met two expert paramedics from Team 806. I was scheduled to go on a shift with them from 6.15 a.m. to 6.15 p.m. But I showed up 30 minutes earlier because I was nervous and new and just didn't want to be late. After I met them, we went inside at a post, and we sat there for about 30 minutes when our dispatcher gave us our first emergency call. The patient was an elderly individual. In class, we learned that confidentiality is very important. So to keep this person's identity concealed, I will be referring to the patient as them or they or the patient. As soon as we got this call, we jumped immediately into the ambulance. We arrived at the patient's house within seven minutes, but the house was not very well marked and it was still pretty dark outside. As soon as we found the house, we got out and I let my paramedics get the stretcher out because I was scared I'd break it me break it yeah <laughs> as soon as we as soon as they got the stretcher out we hustled towards the house and I took just a brief second to look at what they had there were well-worn furniture and blankets and pictures of grandkids on every surface in the furthermost bedroom we could already hear the patient before we could ever see them and they were clearly in distress 
We had to move a couple recliners and chairs out of the way to get back to the bedroom. As soon as we got there, the patient was propped up in bed with his arm on the backboard, struggling to support his weight. His breathing was very labored, and it sounded like he didn't have any lungs at all. The patient was coughing and wheezing very loudly and just clearly in distress. When we checked his pulse, it was at 62, which is very concerning because you would expect a person in distress to have a high heart rate of 80 to 100. We asked the patient if we could assist them onto the stretcher, but in a staggered voice aimed at no one and anyone in the room, they were saying something like, this is it, this is my time, I'm not going to make it. I took a step back because that startled me. I didn't know what to do. In class, we learned that there are certain things you cannot say to a patient. You cannot tell the patient that they're going to be fine, that they're going to live, and that they're just going to get through it on, on their own, on their cell. But in absence of those words, how would you reassure that patient? I learned that you can say to a patient, we're going to help you, we're going to do as much as we can, and that we're, we're here for you. But... What startled me the most was that it already sounded like he was ready to give up. And I started entertaining the thought that he might actually not make it. As soon as the patient got assisted onto the stretcher, we maneuvered him out of the bedroom and down the hallway and out towards the ambulance. As soon as we got the patient loaded up onto the ambulance, the paramedic inserted an IV into the patient's left forearm. But as soon as the IV touched his skin, the patient just went completely limp. I caught a glance of the patient's eyes and they just looked like they were already gone. Things were already tense and this added a whole new seriousness to the situation. And just, it was tough. We had to call backup. And as soon as they got there, they immediately started chest compressions. After about five minutes of the backup doing chest compressions, my paramedic looked me straight in the eyes and said, we need you to take over. And without thinking, I immediately just jumped into it. I began giving 30 chest compressions while my paramedic was giving two breaths. We stayed in this rotation for about 10 minutes, but I got fatigued after those 10 minutes and had to trade back out with my backup. After we arrived at the hospital, we got the patient out of the ambulance and started rolling him back into the hospital. As we were rolling the patient into a room, one of the backup members was giving chest compressions as we were rolling down the hallway. But as soon as we transferred the patient over to the doctors and the nurses, my paramedic took me out of the room and asked me to help clean the stretcher. I figured that once we got the stretcher cleaned and ready to go for the next patient, we would go back into the room and find out how the patient was doing. But the paramedic was trying just distracted me. He was saying, oh, you did such a great job. I'm so proud of you. And how are you feeling? And 
I knew that he was trying to keep me from what was really behind that door. More than anything, I wanted to go into the waiting room and help the family. I know what it's like to have a loved one in the hospital, not knowing if you're ever going to see them again. In 2014, my stepfather had an incident where he nearly lost his life. So now I know what it's like to be on both sides of the ER. And also, in 2008, my father died. He had a seizure and fell into a pond while he was fishing and drowned. I only remember small bits and pieces of the funeral. I remember them playing Butterfly Kisses as one of his favorite songs. At the end of the funeral, I was given a pair of his boots and that CD with that song on it. And I would play that song over and over and over again to remember him. But that is how I came to be an EMT. I know that my dad was helpless in that kind of situation and if he would have had the help that he needed, he would most likely be alive today. And they would be able to help him. And that's what I want to do. I want to be able to help anybody in need. I never found out that day if that patient ever lived. And I still think about it every single day. I would never wish death upon anybody. And whenever possible, I wish everybody would live. What a beautiful story, Kaylin. Lots of drama and emotions. So first, please catch us up and tell us what has transpired in your life over the past two years. Well, I graduated high school in 2019, and I got my certification of completion for EMT. And then I got accepted into TJC, as well as their amazing band. I got to perform with the band for about three semesters, but I ended up having to drop college altogether. And that drastically tore me apart. My boyfriend at the time, who was now my husband, and I moved in together February of 2020. Him and I both decided to drop out of college because we were getting behind on our bills and we weren't making enough money. I met Austin, my husband, in the TJC band. We dated for a little over a year. Then we got married October 31st of 2020. He joined the United States Air Force and left for BMT on December 15th. I've only gotten to see him once since then. Oh my goodness. It's tough, but we are getting through it. We got a dog together. His name is Axel. <laughs> He's a year and a half old Belgian Malinois. He's nothing but zoomies all day, every day. But he is the sweetest little boy ever, and he's super protective of his family. It sounds like he's kept you good company. Oh, for sure. He's a good dog. Well, congratulations <laughs> on your marriage. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to two years ago when you told your story on stage. What was that experience and what response did you get from those who heard it? It was a wonderful experience. I'm very happy I got to go out and tell my story, let others know what goes on in the world that younger people were getting involved in. And the response that I feel like I got, I feel like it was more of a shocked response because I'm what a 19-year-old girl in an EMT course helping save lives on an ambulance in the ER, helping out. At the time, I think you were 17, in fact. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. 
I spoke to some people who were there at the show just a couple of days after it happened, and yours was the first story that they talked about just saying, wow, and felt so bad for her that she had to go through this being so young. They were really touched by it. It wasn't a bad thing to go through. I was really happy I got to go out there and help, but some of those memories don't leave. Yeah. Your teacher, Matthew Singleton, encouraged you to tell your story. Did you know immediately what event you wanted to talk about? Oh, yes. I was hoping I could inspire others to join the medical field. They're always needing more hands on deck. Or at least have people listen to my story and realize that not every day is what you're expecting with EMT. You'll have good days and you'll have bad days, but the people on the outside will never know what you've been or seen. Everybody in the medical field needs more appreciation for what they do and how they're handling it. It's tough, especially for the last two years. Very true. You had very vivid recollections of details from your first day shadowing paramedics down to the furniture and knickknacks in the house where the patient lay on their bed. What memories from that time have continued to stay with you? I vividly remember my patient talking, responding, interacting, and then just going cold. In the blink of an eye, I remember how long we were performing C CPR and switching out constantly to try and get their heart to pump again. But the main thing that has stuck with me and bothered me is I watched them pass over the patient to the doctors, but I never got to find out if they made it. Yeah, that unfinished business. Mm -hmm. it, it's tough, but got to keep going. You tell this story as though you were unprepared and thrown into a situation where you had no choice but to step in. Has life thrown similar learning curves your way since then? Oh, for sure. When Austin and I first moved in together, that wasn't the original plan. I was living at home with my mother, and so was he. His parents decided to sell their house and move into an apartment so they could build another house. But all they could find were two-bedroom apartments, and they had a lot of stuff. So Austin was going to need to find an apartment on his own and pay everything on his own, which is tough being fresh out of high school. So I stepped up and offered to move in with him. It was a super last-second plan, and neither, neither of us were fully prepared for the bills we had until a few months later, which is why we decided to drop college, and even Austin was working three to four jobs at the same time to keep us afloat. Oh, wow. That is a huge learning curve <laughs> that you're still on, it sounds mm -hmm. like. Are there parts of your story you view differently now that some time has passed? I feel like the story describes a lot of what happened, maybe a little too much, but it lets people know what happens on the inside, that a lot of people don't just go into the medical field because they feel like it. There's always an underlying reason. It has even taken me some time to realize that. Really? So talking to other people in the medical field, what stories do you know about? I know... Like, some of their parents will have, like, cancer or something, and they can't get help. So they're like, well, maybe I can come help, or maybe I can find a reason why they have this, why there's not a fix for it. There's reasons that people just don't talk about. They're very personal. Mm -hmm. Like, with my dad, the way he died, it was traumatic, but that's what's pushing me to be in the medical field. That's what's keeping me driven for it. 
Yeah. So tell me, I know right now things are really tenuous and COVID put a wrench in that too, Mm -hmm. but hopefully as a few more years pass and you go back to school, what would you like to see yourself doing in the medical field? I would love to be a trauma nurse. I want to be in the ER helping with patients that are pretty critical that I can get to stabilize. I want to help them come down off of that really high peak and get them stable. Wow. Yeah. And you'd be a darn fine one. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) We'll be in good hands in a crisis with you. I really hope so. That's what I'm going to be working for. I remember when we met in a room off to the side of your CTC classroom. We had been talking for over an hour about the events in your story when suddenly your eyes welled up and you told me about losing your dad in an accident. And I finally understood why helping during medical emergencies meant so much to you. How have you and your family continued to live with the early loss of your dad in 2008? My mother doesn't really like talking about him. They were divorced at the time. Uh But my brother, Zach, he took the loss very hard. He lost his mother, then he lost our dad, and then he lost his stepfather. So he's he's been through a lot of pain in a short amount of time. And me, it's it's gotten a lot easier for me to talk about it, but it, it still hurts. I almost had the impression that you had not talked about it much when we spoke two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's almost like this EMT story became a doorway through which you could say it, some things about your dad. Yeah, it's definitely helped a lot. It's opened up my... Like the, a, a box that I've had inside that I kept everything and would shut people out on. I'm able to talk more now. I'm able to be more open. I'm very happy about it. I am too. If you could tell your story again today, is there another you would choose? Yes, I would choose to speak about mental health. And talk about depression, anxiety, PTSD, bipolar depression, eating disorders, anything. But it won't be just for me. It'll be for everybody. And these topics are kept quiet, and they need to be talked about. Is that something you were aware of two years ago, or has have you kind of become aware? I'm aware of them. I struggle with depression, anxiety, PTSD, trauma, all kinds of stuff. It's, it's hard, but talking about it helps a lot. So some of those things have become more intense in your life since high school ended? I don't think they become more intense. I think I'm becoming more aware of them. Yeah, definitely important topics. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you do understand that there is a mental health crisis in East Texas. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Is there something else important you want to say that hasn't come up yet? Yeah, my my husband and I found out that we are moving in July, so we we will no longer be in Texas. Where will you be? (laughs) We will be in Alabama. Oh, and that's because of his work? Mm -hmm. He got his first duty station, and we'll be moving sometime around July. Oh, boy, you're about to start a new adventure. Yep. (laughs) How long will he be posted there? About four years, Okay. and then we'll get another one. You are about to live (laughs) the life of a traveler. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I'm excited, but also terrified. Oh, (laughs) It's wonderful talking to you and hearing how you're doing. Thanks so much for sharing with The Loop, Kaylin. Thank you so much for having me here.
The Out of the Loop podcast was recorded at the Innovation Pipeline in downtown Tyler by Preston Hutto, with technical support from Neil Katz and Leah Wansley. Music is provided by the Tyler, Texas duo Gypsum and the Travelers. Out of the Loop is a production of the Tyler Loop, a nonprofit news and culture magazine and storytelling platform for Tyler and East Texas. We run on memberships from informed, engaged residents like you who value in-depth, inclusive reporting. Check us out at thetylerloop.com. Thank you.